This podcast was recorded and produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Blackbirds acknowledges and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. No offence, but... No offence, but you guys suck. Oh, no offence, though. Like, no offence. Great Britain has now become snowflake central. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. Look, no offence, but... Oh, oh my God. Oh. No, I'm not going to get him a vegan sausage roll to calm down. What the fuck is going Hello and welcome back to another episode of No Offence But. My name is Aisha, I am the Artistic Director of Blackbirds and the host of this podcast. I'm going to kick off with your monthly or weekly reminder to hit the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify. It is the best thing you can do to support this little show and while you're there, don't forget to leave a review. A thousand thank yous and blessings to you in advance. Well, it's definitely almost the end of November, which I cannot believe. I'm already trying to organise several Christmas parties and they all have the same theme. So I apologise in advance um, if you're getting if you get confused. But they all have the same thing and the theme is going to be very Housewives Christmas. I also just feel like there's not enough time to do everything that needs to be done. But I am so excited for the end of the year. I'm excited to take some time off work to recharge and then get ready for what I imagine will be a fabulously wild 2021. But before that, I've got a couple more episodes up my sleeve, starting with this one. My guest on today's episode is Navi Karan. Navi Karan is a multi-gender trans woman of colour, entrepreneur, community educator, writer and choreographer from India based in Brisbane. Their work aims to create platforms for storytelling that is accessible and safe for identities of various intersections and communities. They are the founder of Romantic, a fashion and experience brand aimed to fund and support artists of colour. You can also find their latest track The Closet and Mansion of Grace on all streaming platforms, but especially on Spotify, and you can find the link for that in the show notes. Navi Karan was also named as one of the 30 under 30 LGBTIQ plus leaders in Australia by Out for Australia in 2019 for their contributions to the community. And they starred in La Boite Theatre Company's 2020 production, The Neighbourhood, which I had the privilege of watching last year. Navi Karan is extremely generous and honest with what they share in today's episode. We talk about gender politics, artistic cliques coming out, trusting yourself, freeing yourself and a whole lot more. Before we get into the chat, I just want to let you know that there is a brief mention of suicide, which may be triggering for some listeners. So if you or anyone you know is struggling, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Let's get into the episode. Okay, so the first question that I ask everyone is, when was the last time you were offended? I think something that's quite, I guess, offended me, but slash also like, I guess thrown me into a reality check of sorts is realizing how inaccessible art curation is. Mm. You know, and as I think, I think as as someone who is marginalized and you know belongs to a few intersections that aren't necessarily part of like you know mainstream art making. Um, so I'm a choreographer. I am a writer. I'm a performer. I feel like I've, well, like what I've realized is people or rather mainstream spaces really have, are really looking for certain kind of works. Mm-hmm. And even to show capacity that, you know, oh, I can make this. I just need, I just need space. I need permission. I need, you know, well, rather not permission, I guess. 
I need opportunities or like, you know, people like me need opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and just realizing how, I think especially with COVID as well, because, you know, we've had such huge conversations around, you know, um, art funding and like, you know, like how many, how much people have depended on like art and like, you know, different various kinds of art. And so I think that's been, I feel like I have been offended, yes, but I think that's also made me realize how much more important it is for us to keep making art because, you know, as people of culture, mm. art is a huge part of our identity. And therefore, I think, you know, it's led me to realize that we need to work together. And the other thing that's also, I like, have realized, you know, because art practice in this country especially is heavily commodified. You kind of touched on it before about, you know, what you do, your creative practices. But can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, what you do, uh, how you culturally identify, how you became an artist? My name is Navi Karan. I use she and they pronouns. I am thoroughly Indian. I've been in Australia in quotes Mm. for the last five years and predominantly lived in Brisbane. And so I am a spoken word artist, I'm a writer, I'm a dancer, choreographer, and I'm an emerging producer. Yeah, so I guess what I do, uh, it's tricky. I think what what I'm trying to make happen is create a a creative practice that is community-driven. Yep. So I want to build platforms where people across margins and communities can make art without needing to real without needing to um, rely on capitalism without needing to commodify their art Mm. so um, one of the works that I'm creating at the moment um, it's a choreo poem called brown church and it's a it's a it's kind of a set of 14 poems 14 works that you know as an end result is a theater piece um, but the idea is it, it looks like it looks at what what does liberation mean and how can we tie liberate and how is liberation tied with you know I guess freedom for community care for care for land care for country access to healthcare access to affordable housing um, and and at the same time make sure that these conversations are also the ones and not rushed. And so as an artist, what I want is to diversify the mainstream. So when we look at, you know, who is winning the big awards, who is doing, you know, who's making the big films, who's making the big theater pieces, etc. I really want to change the people that we see in those places. And that's where I guess, you know, that's my vision. And that's, I guess, that's what I'm working on. Mm. Were you creating art as well when you were living in India? Yeah, so I have been... Predominant. So I've always been a dancer and I guess a movement artist. Um, and I guess because I was quite naturally feminine, I wasn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't necessarily safe dancing. Mm-hmm. And so there came a point in my teens where I realized that I could, you know, I could go on stage and storytell. And that's how I started writing and doing spoken word performances. And so I think I think at the age of 16 was when I performed uh, my first spoken word piece at a cafe in Bangalore um, and then like really quite enjoyed the experience of because when you do spoken word you kind of are just you, it's just your voice yes you know and it's it's kind of a very it's an isolating but it's also very amazing I guess it's a thrilling experience because you kind of rely on your work to represent itself 
you know and so it's been yes i think i think and, and the other thing as well is realizing that um my people which again is a huge generalizing statement but i think we are natural storytellers mm. so my people in my family my elders used to tell stories to me and i don't necessarily think that that's a practice that is continuing and so therefore for me it's almost a it's almost a cultural responsibility to gather stories and tell them and share it with people and, and keep going and so knowing that where i come from so that we figure out where it is that we're going yeah absolutely i've been doing a huge stalk of your instagram of course um, and in one of your posts, and quite a few of them, you know, you talk about um, your gender identity and your sexuality. And in one of them, you talk about, I and mean, it's like a screenshot of messages between someone. And you say that you identify as like non-binary, polygender, and also, you know, you see the world through your mother's eyes. So you do also feel female at times. Was this something that you always felt? Or like, how did you come across, like even the language, I guess, was it even talked about in India? Like, how do you even come to that conclusion? Oh God, I, that, that's that's an amazing question. I think I think it's a it's an incredible privilege to be able to arrive at that language. I, I guess have insight into one's gender. So I can physically and emotionally and spiritually feel the genders of the people that came before me, mm-hmm. and so I. Like, you know, when I really am able to, like, you know, really when I think about it, I feel like there are these people within me that are expressive and are being, as a sense, in different ways. And I see that as, for me, gender is a way of being, I feel. Like, you know, if, if, you, if you really scrape back norms and gender roles and gender presentations, I feel like it comes down to, like, how are we, you know, I guess, you know, what, I guess what is our place mm-hmm. in, in societies and whatnot. And so I feel like even to be at that place means that the gender binary doesn't work for me. And therefore I use non-binary as well. You know? So as, as simply as someone who doesn't use the binary mm. of gender. Um, but at the same time, I feel like one of the most prominent ways of my being emulates my mother. And that's the bit that's hardest to figure out because I feel like I'm, lit- I feel like I'm seeing the world through her eyes, you know, on some level. I feel like I'm doing the things that my mother would like to do. If she had the, uh, the, I guess, the opportunities that, you know, I have. Yes. You know? I think what my gender represents is this, is this kind of a revolution where I genuinely feel like I embody an entire army and so this this work that i'm writing at the moment talks about how if men are from mars and women are from venus my gender is the entire solar system as i see through my mother but i also like you know the more i've reflected on that i feel like oh that is still that is still very limited you know i think i'm an entire constellation Mm. Um, and and, you know i'm still becoming and so i think i think it's been an entire blessing like even when I hang out with like, you know, people who really try to force themselves in these boxes, like, you know, oh, I'm a woman, I must wear makeup. I must have like, you know, I must wear these things. I must behave this way. Or I'm a man. I can't look another man in the eye or he might think I'm gay. I'm like, you know, it's really like <laughs> being able to step out of it and go like, whoa, we actually force ourselves to do these things and we are not even happy. It, what I think is awesome is that, and you know, all of men talks about it 
quite well as well is that Trump's liberation is the liberation of all people. Mm-hmm. What we are doing is showing, especially cis people, that you don't have to follow these norms. You don't have to be trans, number one. And, you know, you can wear whatever you want. <laughs> you can, you know, uh, and the moment you stop yourself, it is, you know, you're trying to fit yourself into a box that is actually causing you a lot of pain. You know, when we look at some extremely gendered experiences all the way from, you know, when we look at um, the rates of suicide in men to the, to the experiences of domestic family and um, sexual violence that women have, all of these are such, ex- like, you know, such extremely gendered experiences that in some ways come from the binary because it tells people what roles they have in society. Mm. We can just manage to educate ourselves and our communities and tell them, hey, we don't have to be these people. We don't have to perpetuate harm on ourselves and others. We can actually go towards a reality where people are safe and people are free. And I think it's been a blessing. I almost feel like being trans is has been a blessing because one, it's given me these visions of a place we could go to as, as global communities, as global people. But at the same time, it's allowed me to have these conversations. You're an intersection of minority groups. Yeah. So you're a brown woman, you're queer. How do you, and this is a huge question, so I don't even know how I can answer it really, but how do you mm. navigate spaces? Because I even know just as myself, as a black mm. brown woman, sometimes mm. I just, I just want to, leave i can't even be bothered to get into conversation other times i want to punch someone in the face and like i only have to deal with probably a half of what you have to deal with so how Mm. do you how do you navigate that for yourself like how do you protect yourself when you're when you are a part of a colony that is not especially built for you like you know i am a migrant with half the rights that people of this country have um i'm left-handed I am transgender, I am bisexual, I, you know, I'm unemployed. Like, you know, like when we really look at intersectionality, what we realize that intersectionality has little alleyways, you know, there's, mm-hmm. it's more than, it's a lot more nuanced, you know? And, you know, not that I'm saying that, you know, life is bad because I'm left-handed. I think the world isn't created for us. Mm-hmm. The colonies aren't built for people like us to thrive, you know? And so when I go into spaces, I was having this conversation last night with someone, actually, I think number one, realizing that I'm a whole person, right? I don't walk into a room as a trans person wearing makeup in a dress, you know, with black hair. I don't, I don't go in as intersection. And I think that's been a really hard lesson because every time I've been in a room for the sake of safety, I've had to compare myself with everyone and go like, Oh, where do I stand in this place? But beyond that, I think what I've realized is that as soon as I enter a room, know that I deserve love and respect. Mm-hmm. There's anyone else in that space. And so knowing that if I do not get it, setting that as a standard and a boundary, then it's definitely not a safe space for me. However, like my advice to people often is because I get asked often because, you know, people go, oh, what, what like, you know, how do we, how do we change? Like, you know, how do, we, how do we get into the space? I think it's absolutely fine if you feel safe in a space to go ahead and claim it. Mm-hmm. Let's think of like a really 
bougie ass experience like you know i don't know um to gucci or something yeah yeah like you're walking like you know like louis vuitton yeah and, like you're wearing like i don't know tongs and a singlet and you know shorts from kmart you are absolutely fine to be in there mm-hmm. like rich white women with like you know with bank accounts that you never probably will like you know get to <laughs> you know amounts that you'll never have probably like you know frequent that place with your butlers or whatnot um but i think you deserve respect we deserve respect regardless of where we are mm-hmm. right and you are welcome to go claim space in that and if people get you to leave then it is because they have lost the capacity to have compassion and respect for other humans and that's as basic as that it does not matter what intersection you belong to mm. you know and i think that conversation translates to a lot of different i guess conversations because i feel like um when i think about i guess police brutality and like the whole conversation around um wanting to abolish the police i think about how we've created a system as you know i guess as as the western world where we've created dynamic where one person is afraid of the other person you know and we've created a fear based system and why is that why we why do we have to live in a place where we fear someone else and for me to answer your question how do i navigate it if you know if one if i if i have if i have any inclination that you know i'm not respected in a space i know that that space is unsafe for me and it really depends I think it depends on what the situation is and you know um who my allies are in the room how can if we can have a conversation like for example and I'm happy for this to go on the record is like you know when I had to leave um I had to leave a situation where it was it was tragically racist and I like you know there were a group of people who did a certain set of things which bordered on you know my body being policed quite and and with the outcome of being heavily punished for being and i had this <coughs> really brief conversation with myself and i said okay what do i want to achieve mm-hmm. and my answer was i want to end white supremacy mm-hmm. i want to end white privilege i want well no i want to end what i want to end the white patriarchy mm-hmm. and i said to myself okay fine if that's what you want to do great is this the best use of your time to talk to these people and get change to happen and i said no that is not my best because the forum that i was in in that very particular situation was not built for learning and was not built for education you know and so therefore for me it was quite easy i said right leave that space because you have bigger shit to achieve and you have bigger conversations to have in places and in forums and spaces where people want to listen and have these conversations in a way where we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable because change is uncomfortable allyship mm-hmm. is painful because we have to really sit through the trauma that we in some ways have perpetuated as you know privileged or non-privileged humans mm-hmm. or or have been affected by I mean I think from what you're saying as well like it's very clear to me that you have possess a lot of strength and 
like a lot of inner strength and you know you said you had you had to have a quick conversation with yourself but even the fact that you are able to talk to yourself and see things really clearly must take a lot of your energy and emotional capacity what was the situation like for you like what kind of strength did it take for you when you came out because I saw that you know you said you came out around three years ago after um Brisbane Pride March and you know you, you told 4,000 people plus on your Facebook friends like that would have been I imagine extremely liberating but also terrifying like how did you feel I think our bodies and spirits have a way to talk to our future and past selves mm. And so, I mean, at the moment, I'm in a quite a difficult, dark space with things that are happening around me. And what I've realized is often if you need strength and if you need resilience, the answer is love. Right? And we can call it radical love. We can call it, you know, what we want. And if I need to live an authentic life, I need to be a person of love. I need to be a person who learns to accept and be unconditionally loving to everything around me, which is a huge task. And, you know, it's probably going to take my whole life. Mm. But in order to be a person of love, it takes a lot of compassion, you know, because if you're a person with prejudice, if you're a person who is naturally inclined to discriminate other people, regardless of who you are, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of, you know, what you've been taught, um, what you've been conditioned with, if you're going to be unaccepting of someone else, it means you need to have compassion for yourself to start with and go, hey, okay, I realize that, you know, you, like, let's say you really hate someone with green eyes, you know, you need to like sit down and have a really good talk to yourself about go and go, hey, why do you hate people with green eyes? What have you been through? What have your people been through? Let's unpack this. Let's sit through the discomfort and the pain and let's figure this shit out so that, because I don't want to be a person that discriminates people with green eyes. Right? Mm. That's not my, what was it like three years ago? I think I realized that it was time. I feel like in order to be authentic in one way, but also if I have to learn to accept others, because I was a completely different person three years ago. If I have to accept others, I think for me, it was about learning to accept myself. And for sure, three years ago, I was not as loving to myself as I am now, or as accepting of myself. And so I think in some spiritual ways, it was a call for me to start going on this journey of compassion and love. And realizing that if I, I mean, I've, I've known my whole life and this is what my, you know, my mother especially and both my parents have like worked really hard towards is realizing that, you know, when you have something, you share it. Mm -hmm. Extremely capitalist because, you know, we are made to feel guilty for any nice thing that we have, right? Mm -hmm. But it makes sense because, you know, it, you can't, you absolutely cannot eat and sleep in peace knowing that not everyone is eating and sleeping in peace, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, I realized that if I have to become this person, which back then I did not even know I was like, you know, three years ago, I would have laughed at you if you'd said, you know, hey, actually, I, in three years, you're going to be this, like, you're going to be this trans goddess of sorts. And you know, <laughs> do the shit that you do. I'd be like, actually, all I wanted to do back three years ago, and, you know, in some ways still, like, you know, I, I've always wanted to kill myself, you know? Wow. Um, 
and always realize that I don't have space in the world for being who I am. And at the same time, knowing that <laughs> it's funny because I've always thought like, okay, so if I, again, the question goes back to like, you know, I asked myself, right, what do you want to achieve? And I've, I've went like, I want to end the white patriarchy. I want to end white supremacy. And then I go, so is killing yourself the best thing to do? And I went, no, I kind of have to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> Plan is foiled, damn it. <laughs> and so <laughs> for me, I think three years ago, Pride March was a call to action. And I think, you know, in retrospect, I also think that it was a call for community because we can't do this alone, right? Mm-hmm. And we can't make change happen by, my, by ourselves. And we need to be communing with each other. We need to be talking to each other. And especially we need to be looking out for each other because life is hard. I want to ask you about something that we mentioned or that you mentioned before I pressed record. And that is, you just kind of said it in passing, but you said um, ancestral affirmations. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain that and tell us how you recognize them. We are all cultural beings. We all come from somewhere and we all come from someone. Mm -hmm. If you as a person, regardless of your race, regardless of your experience, allow space to even meditate on where you come from and, you know, actually holistically allow that opportunity for yourself. Depending on who you are, you will certainly sit through a lot of trauma and pain because you can't just like, you know, meditate and be true to yourself and true to the, I guess, the trauma you've either perpetuated and all experienced without going through pain. But if you actually holistically sit and, I guess, you know, try and find where it is that you come from. And you don't, you don't have to do it through meditation. You don't have, you know, you could, you know, either look through the, look through what information you have about your family, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's many ways to do that. You will feel connected to the people that you come from. It is really hard to explain, um, but it, it has happened, you know. Um, at the start of this year, I was invited to come perform or come create a work called Future Ancestors. Like there were three of us. Um, was, three um, people. Um, endless Yawning? Yes. Yes. So the two other people, and I think this, that this is what is interesting, is that they invited me to be one of the performers. And there was Ethan Enoch Barlow. And Lesianin, who is Malayka Gisa Fatafehi, or goes by and Lesianin. And then there was me, Indian, <laughs> who was in the room. And I laughed because even, like, you know, even I guess 10 months ago, I did not have this sort of a spiritual awakening that I have had in the last few months. And so they invited me to come perform at this work called Future Ancestors. And I said, okay, we don't necessarily have a concept of ancestry in Indian communities because our religions are so heavily colonized. If we die, we go to heaven or hell. Heaven, like, you know, and we're so disconnected from, I guess, a way of life. Seeing where we come from, we're disconnected from our land, we're disconnected from nature, and we're disconnected from each other. And so I don't necessarily think that, think in the way of ancestry. And there were a few other women of color in the space. And they turned around and said, okay, that's, that's, that's 100% fair. But your ancestors are in this room right now, communing with our ancestors. And no matter what you do, 
they are there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's really nice of you to say that you invited me to your space. And especially as a migrant, I, I, it was a huge privilege to be invited into the space and create this work. And, you know, they, and as I found out later, they had gone through a very rigorous process to make sure that, you know, I, I wasn't included as a token, you know, for of any reason, for any reason, which I thought was incredible. Um, it was a work created by Voices of Color, um, Conscious Mike, and DG Youth Arts. Again, amazing organizations to follow and, you know, give your money to. And as the work progressed, and then we did the neighborhood with Lavort, and then the pandemic happened, and then, you know, stuff with Hong Kong, stuff in India around Kashmir, and the... Um, you know, the rules, like, like all of the fucked up stuff that the Indian government was doing against the Muslims, um, George Floyd, mm. virus, lockdown, all of that kind of was in a very privileged place, like in a very privileged sense, an opportunity to reflect on a lot. And then there were times when I actually could physically feel people or spirits in the space to a point where I've gone into people's homes and felt other spirits or other forms in their houses. And it is freaky. Yeah, it is, right? <laughs> and therefore, I think, you know, for me to be able to connect and especially connect on like land that is not even mine means that anyone else can do it. I'm at an incredible cost. So that's connected with ancestors. Affirmation. I think when, and you know, easier said than done, when you're trying to live an authentic life and where you're trying to look at life around you and realize that everything around you has a, has a sense of consciousness. So like, you know, trees and plants and mountains and land and houses and any, like, you know, you know, even like, you know, this cup that I'm holding, everything has a sense of consciousness. And it's just that their ways of living is different to our ways of living. We can talk and smell and hear trees do that differently. Yes. Things that are solid do it differently. The air does it differently. Waters does it differently. Yeah. And really realizing that your life is so much beyond you and you're just a part of nature you're not above nature you're not below nature you're just one of the things and your way of being is so incredibly different and we are so disconnected that we think that we are above nature and therefore we exploit nature left right and center when what that's done is every time i've either made a decision or something incredible has happened things have shifted around me and i felt it so there was a point when something really terrible happened and I could feel a lot of rage in my torso. And that rage was even bigger than, you know, what had happened. And I was like, whoa, I actually don't know where, like it was heat just coming off my torso. And I was perfectly fine, like, you know, I wasn't sick or anything. And then the more I was driving home and the more I reflected on it, I was like, oh, okay, this is not my rage. This is ancestral rage. Because we embody trauma, right? And our bodies carry it and, you know, I believe we carry trauma for at least eight generations uh, epigenetically. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was like, what, like, whatever has happened has triggered something and I'm feeling the rage of my ancestor. And it was, and the moment I felt it, it like, like it affirmed something in there. But immediately what happened was I felt this kind of outpouring of love that was beyond my torso, beyond my body. It was like this, this kind of this huge bubble that was unconditionally loving. And I was like, whoa, what is happening? And, you know, I must sound like a, I must like, you know, I know, I don't want to say that I sound crazy because I, I am so aware of it and so incredibly blessed to be aware of it. But I felt so much love 
And that was so affirming, affirming because it said that, yes, you carry all this trauma, but child, you're a person of love and you're made to love. And we are there for you and we are holding space for you. And, you know, I just weeped the rest of the journey home and just cried and cried and cried until, you know, it literally brought me home. (laughs) I think anyone can do it, especially white people can do it. And white people more than anyone needs need to do it because white people are so much more disconnected from their cultures that they are exploiting other cultures. They're exploiting my culture through yoga and mindfulness and whatever they find is accessible to hide their own trauma. And instead, they need to sit with their trauma and realize that... Um, they can, they can, they, they got this, you know, like I see white people going to India for yoga courses and to become yoga teachers and then exploiting words from my language to create incredibly inaccessible spaces to teach yoga for the purpose of exploit, like, like for the purpose of, you know, changing who you are and changing your body and losing weight and whatnot when they've they've been so incredibly misled yeah you know? they don't they, y'all, y'all don't need yoga y'all don't need yoga to make change happen there's there's other shit you can do go, for go back walk. the last question that i want to ask you is mm-hmm. also another one that i ask everyone and that is do you have a recommendation for the listeners but I've got a recommendation for them from you without you even telling us. And that is to listen to your new single, The Closet, which is on Spotify and YouTube. Can you tell us a little bit about that before, before we get your recommendation? Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) The Closet is a spoken word piece that addresses the intersections of challenges that I had as a queer trans body of color when I was closeted as a bottom line. And what is beautiful about the work to me is that it tries to capture this sense of observation because when you're closeted, and I feel like you don't have to be queer to be closeted. I think anyone who is marginalized in some ways, anyone who doesn't have the freedom to be who they want to be are closeted, right? We're not just closets for queer bodies. You know, people of color especially are also closeted. And so the work kind of, looks at how we observe the things around us even though we can't participate in it but are largely affected by it Mm. the closet is kind of a series of things i observed when i was closeted it's a it's a very tiny snapshot Mm. and it it is it was an incredible incredible opportunity to create a team of artists of color predominantly to create make this work happen Mm. and so for the music video, we had body movement artists as, as they, you know, they came into as part of the choreography we had. Shout out to Multicultural Australia and Austin's Queensland for funding the work. Extremely, extremely grateful. We had producers and filmmakers who are both women of color. Matthew from Matthew's Obscure Orchestra created the music for it. You know, it's, it's this beautiful. Oh, it's, I can't, it's so hard to even describe it because it's just, it's just, it's, it's a whole new level of, like, you know, of sound that Matt's put together. Um, 
and yeah, go give it, go give it a listen and message me. I think, I think the work is especially for young people because I want people to realize that they do not have to box themselves. Yeah. You know, they can be whoever they want to be. And I'm, I say this with privilege, but if I can do it, people can do it. I'll put the links to the Spotify and the YouTube in the show notes as well as to your Instagram so people can absolutely check it out. And now that we've had my recommendation, what's your recommendation for the listeners? Spend time with yourself. Stop trying to fill your life with things. And so I'm just recommending this to myself. Because, yeah. you know, <laughs> I do it all the time. We all need to hear it. We all need to hear it. Hear it. Uh, stop trying to fill your life with things so that you can avoid the pain because we are in we are we are in so much pain, mm-hmm. and and that pain is palpable. I I walk into rooms and I get overwhelmed with the pain of other people that they carry, you know, and and just allow yourself to cry. Yeah. And especially for men, allow yourself to cry. You have full permission. You can call me and cry over the phone if you like, and I will make space for you. Yeah. You know, so spend time with yourself and cry that's my recommendation <laughs> i love that i actually told a little lie i have one more question for you it's um can i take a photo a cute pic yeah. if you didn't take a picture did it actually happen thank you so much for listening to another episode as Navikaran says in our chat please feel free to reach out to them and connect also make sure you listen to their song the closet which you can find on spotify and on YouTube, which I have linked in the show notes. And I've also linked their Instagram. So you will never have to miss out when they're dropping new work, new music, or have something profound to say. Thank you again for joining me. I hope you have a wonderful end to your week and I'll talk to you again really soon. Bye.